start with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this evening, and uh, thank you for all of our fellow believers, and uh, for just the opportunity to gather around your word, uh, to hear your word, uh, to read it, to discuss it, to uh, grow in the knowledge of you and of your son, and I pray that your spirit would be with us and that we would be uh, taught by taught by you and not not just by men and i pray that our understanding of uh, the good news of your son that we would grow uh, in knowledge and understanding and wisdom so that we would have uh, an everlasting hope and our confidence would be in him uh, and in you and so we thank you for all these things and uh, give you all the glory we pray in the name of your son. Amen. All right. Uh, this evening, I'd like to uh, see if we can just finish up uh, what we've been doing with uh, looking at the, the law and how uh, Paul and the other New Testament authors use the law, uh, especially looking at Romans uh, chapter 8. And we won't work through the the rest of uh, the entire chapter. But we did have a youth Bible study that went beyond through the rest of eight, and we had two in chapter nine. So I can throw those online if, if you're interested. And last time we were seeing in this uh, whole section, uh, after Paul shows that uh, righteousness, justification is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, in pretty much chapters 1 through 4. And then in chapter 5, we start to see the implications of our justification. Having been justified, we have peace with God. Uh, We're reconciled to God. Uh, We have entrance or access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so it doesn't stop with our initial justification, but salvation is a whole package, uh, and it's, it's received as a free gift. Nothing that can be merited, not by our obedience, uh, not by our righteousness, uh, but only by what Christ has done, his finished work. And so our justification, our sanctification, our glorification Uh, We're just seeing Paul unpack the hope uh, that we have. We have an eternal hope, uh, the hope of the glory of God. Uh, And he talks about the boast that we have. And then we were seeing this new reign of, I summarize it as going from the reign of sin, condemnation, and death uh, in the first man uh, with with humanity that fell uh, to the reign of grace, righteousness and life that God establishes through his son uh, through his through his work on the cross and dying and rising again he brings about this new reign of grace uh, and even in, in the end of uh, Romans chapter 5 He says, let's see, in verse uh, 20, 
Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's this free gift, uh, this favor that God bestows uh, upon his his people. And, and we have this new reign, Reign, and sometimes it speaks about Christ reigning. I mean, it, it's God reigning. You know, Christ Christ is reigning, uh, but sometimes it uh, just characterizes grace and even kind of personifies uh, sin. Uh, like with Cain and Abel, God says, "Sin is crouching at the door; its desire is for you, but you must rule over it." Uh, it dominates uh, Cain uh, and, and rules over him, his own sinful nature. And then chapter six. He dealt with certain implications about this new reign of grace. Uh, okay, uh, if we're if we're under grace now, does that give us license to sin? Uh, if we're not under law but under grace, how are we to think about these things? And so, he wanted to refute objections that people would make, and you can even read some of them back in early in chapter three against his gospel, uh, probably his fellow Jews especially, but also to correct any misunderstandings, grace isn't licensed to sin. Not being under the law as law covenant is not licensed to sin. Uh, But grace grace, uh, raises us to new life with Christ so that we live with him and so that we're no longer a slave to sin, but we're a slave to Obedience, righteousness, and God, uh, to, to serve serve God. And then in chapter 7, uh, we are seeing that he was building uh, on this. He closes chapter 6, uh, verses 22-23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, wages, you get what you earn, but the free gift, it's something that God God provides. Uh, and, uh, believers are those who grow in obedience and uh, they have new life and freedom uh, in the spirit. And then focusing more also on the, the law in chapter Seven. He shows that they are no longer under the law, uh, under the law covenant, uh, the five books of Moses as law covenant uh, that bound them. And if they didn't keep it, it would bring a curse upon them in condemnation and death uh, for their uh, sin. And now he is showing that they've been uh, they've been released. Uh, so look at verses uh, four through six. Likewise, my brothers. Uh, like the woman that he gave in the, uh, the the analogy who had been bound to the law of marriage when she was married to her husband. But when he dies, there's a death. She's released, and now she could marry another. Uh, she's released from the law. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
Uh, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so there's been been a change. Uh, When our, back then, uh, him as audience, uh, us by extension, all, all believers, our sinful passions were at work in us, and they would they would use God's law, whether written on our hearts or consciences, as uh, Gentiles, uh, or uh, the the law covenant in the the Torah. It would use that, and here he's especially focused on uh, on fellow fellow Jews, those who know know the law. Use that work to bear fruit for death, uh, and. The law, the written code, just being written on tablets of stone and on scrolls could not change our sin natures. Uh, It couldn't change us. It couldn't free us from the corruption of sin or the guilt of sin or the penalty of sin, death. Uh, It's just a written code. But now he talks about this change to the the new way of the spirit. Now we've we've been released. Uh, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And so the law written on our hearts, uh, it's new covenant uh, language. And so we've been talking about how Paul polemically repudiates the law as law covenant, and that's the function or capacity that the Torah serves. Uh, the, The Torah serves different functions or uh, capacities as law covenant, law as law. Uh, it can also function as law as scripture, as a source of wisdom, uh, teaching, instruction, uh, and uh, prophecy. Uh, and we see it replaced then that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so we're no longer under the law as law covenant that brought a curse upon us. And then throughout the rest of seven, he draws some implications. Uh, This is his big point that he's focused on, uh, this change of being freed from from the law in the new way of the the spirit. But again, he has to deal with some objections uh, and possible misunderstandings that could come from, uh, from his teaching saying, what then? Uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yeah, yeah. May it not be. May it never be. Or I, I'd, I'd say... Uh, Maybe I'm pronouncing it right. No, that, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Uh, the law is... Uh, holy, righteous, and good. You know, it's it's from it's from God. It's sin that's sin. It's sin that's sinful, and that's what the law reveals it to be. Uh, giving, uh, as Eric, I, I thought he uh, described very well, giving a detailed accounting for every sin uh, that that comes with uh, detailing what sin is and what what the penalty is for uh, for breaking uh, God's God's law. Uh, and then he asks in verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? That which is good, the law. 
By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Uh, And so the law is not the central problem. Even the law is law covenant. It's not the central problem. Sin is the central problem. Uh, The law isn't sin. It's sin that's sin. And the law doesn't kill. It's sin that kills through the law, uh, co-opting God's good, holy, and righteous uh, law. As we read through, he he shows, at first it's, it's quite stark, where he's talking about being under the law. He starts... Uh, in the past, uh, starting with his audience, you, uh, we, including himself, I in the past, I in the past, and then I in the present, Spring White just said uh, in the past. If you look at verses 13 and 14, did that which is good then bring death to me? So we're still in the past. By no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And so he's talking about being enslaved. He's using himself. He started using his audience. Uh, You in the past, we in the past, I in the past, I in the past, I in the present, spring why I said in the past. He's speaking very generally as one who has been born a sinner, a one who, although redeemed, still retains, uh, still retains sin, who can, who can identify with his people, who can identify with sinners. He can speak in general terms about being enslaved under the law, under sin, under its uh, dominion uh, in being in the flesh. But he's speaking in general terms here. Uh, As we'll see, you have to let Paul apply it because later in 8 we'll see there's still still abiding sin that we have to deal with. Uh, He makes the same point in Galatians 5 and, and elsewhere too. But here he's actually talking about being under the law, under sin, enslaved. Uh, there's no spirit uh, in the rest of the chapter. Uh, the spirit is not present. Uh, there's no freedom. There's no life. There's only sin, the law, enslavement, and death. Uh, and all he can do, uh, like the Jew uh, in uh, chapter chapter 2, all he can do is give mental assent. Yeah, the law is good. I know I should o- obey it. But... I can't. It's because all he has is, is the flesh. Uh, the real problem is indwelling sin, uh, not, the, not the law itself. And so let's just read uh, from verse 21, and we'll be going into uh, to 8. That's where we'll be focusing since we've covered this. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so there's this law or principle that governs things. So I find it to be a law 
Then when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. God's law in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, by which he recognizes that God's, God's law is good and wants to obey it. But he has this law in his members uh, that he talks about, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so the problem is, it's indwelling sin. This, this internal law that rules over us, that enslaves us, that dominates us, apart from the Spirit, apart from Christ, so that Paul and his audience can only give mental assent to the Torah and say it's good, I, I should obey it, uh, but, but I can't, uh, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, summarizing what he's been teaching, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Uh, and Craig Keener talks about how many uh, there were many Jews at Paul's time who basically thought that just through the teaching of the Torah uh, in, the, in the law covenant, that by teaching it, that they could obey it. That righteousness would come through, through the Torah, just itself, uh, through, through the, the law covenant and that, that instruction. But we see that in our flesh, in, with our sinful passions, our sinful, mortal human nature, going all the way back to the first man, Adam, and his, his progeny that have followed, followed him, uh, shared in his corruption uh, and participate in his sin and share in his guilt and condemnation, that they can do nothing pleasing to God. Uh, all, all they can do is mentally assent that, yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, and I think as uh, Dan was saying uh, I think when we were saying chapter 5 that, okay, so you, yeah, human sinners, they're free. They're free to sin. That's basically it, right? We're, 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 apart from the Spirit, we're free to sin. But we're, we're not free to, uh, to, to believe God, to love God, to obey God. And so, so then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And so this is the natural state of man. And we'll see later, if we get far enough into Romans or if we went into to Galatians chapter 5, that here his point, it, it's quite stark. Uh, he, he's, he's primarily focused on the law, defending the law, and showing sin's the real problem. Uh, and the law is not, not the central problem, but it's not, it's not the solution either because it can't give us freedom and life uh, from, uh, from sin. It can't free us from sin's corruption, its guilt, and condemnation and penalty, penalty of death as it co-ops God's law. However, 
he'll later show that we still have to put to death the deeds of the body. We're not glorified yet. Uh, and he makes that point in Romans uh, 5 uh, as well, that there's still abiding sin to deal with. And to the extent that now the, the natural man who's not a believer, who's not indwelt by the Spirit, they can do nothing pleasing to God. This is, this is their, uh, their state. For Christians, to the extent that they go back to the law covenant and legalism, self-righteousness, to establish their own righteousness and to not depend uh, upon Christ, his finished work, and the Spirit uh, to establish either their own righteous standing before God, a legal righteousness, or an ethical righteousness in living out their Christian life. Uh, if they go back uh, to the law covenant uh, in, in legalism and false binding uh, or, or other, other uh, extra-biblical uh, ways of of making yourself right for God or earning uh, earning any of the blessings and promises of salvation, then they go back to the way of the, the flesh. Uh, they're going back to uh, the elemental spirits that ruled over them. They're going back uh, not, to, not to freedom in life, but to enslavement uh, in, in death of, of sin and back under the law as a law, law covenant and the uh, the hostile spirits and powers, as Bob and Eric have spoken about, and you see in Galatians uh, chapter uh, 4 and, and elsewhere. And so to the extent that Christians turn back, they go back to, uh, to these things. Uh, but here his, his point is pretty, pretty stark, but uh, he'll talk about uh, dealing with uh, abiding sin uh, still. And so... So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And now he goes back to the past and to his, to his audience. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Set you free. This is his point all the way back, his main point all the way uh, toward the beginning of uh, chapter uh, chapter 7, uh, that they're now freed from the law to belong to another and to bear fruit to God. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so the law... Uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's uh, probably a little more accurate than uh, how the, the ESV has it. The, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, where you have these new covenant themes. Uh, Paul radically replaces the law, as Brian S. Rosner says, as theological motif. These themes, a lot of times new covenant, uh, new covenant uh, themes. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. And so the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. And that's what he was, in, 
showing himself as an illustration in his audience before that, uh, being enslaved, enslaved under the law, enslaved under sin, uh, bringing condemnation and death uh, upon them. Uh, in the Torah, his law covenant, just written on tablets of stone and written in, in scrolls, it couldn't free them from sin, from sin's uh, corrupting power, uh, from its guilt, from, from its penalty of death. It, it could not free them. And so now we see a new law uh, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And now, is, is the law sin? No. It's sin that's sin. Uh, did that which is good then kill me? The law? No. It was sin that killed me through the law. The law of sin and death that work in his members. Uh, his flesh that ruled over him and enslaved him. Uh, the, the nature of, of every man uh, descended from, from Adam, uh, enslaved to, to sin. Through one man came sin, and through sin, death, and death spread to all men because all, all sinned, and they, they, they partook. They, they participated and walked uh, in his uh, same, same ways and shared in his corruption, guilt, and condemnation uh, as well. And so the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, the Torah, as law covenant, weakened by the flesh, it wasn't its fault, it was our, our flesh, the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. And so Christ, taking a human nature, came in our likeness, now, he wasn't, he wasn't a sinner. He says the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, and so he was truly human, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't sinful. Uh, he, was, he was sinless. Uh, and he, he didn't share uh, in Adam's same corruption and guilt uh, and condemnation and, and, and death. But he did share in our humanity and, and uh, took on our likeness. So by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In his death, he bore the penalty for the guilt uh, in, in death that comes with uh, sin uh, that for, for his, uh, his people. And so uh, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that now believers no longer come under condemnation. Uh, there is no longer, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He, he bore the penalty, he bore uh, the, the curse, uh, in the, and God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to of the Spirit. And this is what I'd like to talk about uh, more.
Hi, Nancy. And so here he gives a purpose by saying his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, past. And the purpose of this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And now, some have argued uh, that the the righteous uh, requirement uh, here is just dealing with the issue of uh, justification. And so then it would just be uh, our positional uh, righteousness in Christ, uh, our, uh, our legal forensic righteousness imputed to us uh, so that God now declares us uh, justified uh, in his son. Uh, in I mean, we see that through chapters 1 through 4. Uh, we see that also uh, on and off throughout all of these chapters and throughout the, the whole book of uh, Romans as well. But we've also seen that there's a, an ethical righteousness, uh, a practical outworking of new life and freedom in Christ, where the Spirit uh, in, in Christ not only frees us from sin's guilt, condemnation, and the penalty of death, but he frees us from its corruption uh, uh, as well. So that now, with new life and freedom in the Spirit, now we're no longer enslaved uh, to sin as we once uh, once were. Uh, Now uh, we can actually start to uh, to walk according to the Spirit. Uh, to uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but believers in his Son, by his Spirit, uh, not, not by themselves, not by their own, own merit or something that they earn, they can now be pleasing to God. They, they can now, uh, by faith, uh, begin to grow in holiness and obedience. And he even talks about, uh, in chapter 6, about now being slaves to obedience, leading to righteousness, uh, and to righteousness, leading to sanctification, uh, and ultimately being slaves to to God, uh, to God himself. And so sometimes righteousness is used, and you have to read very carefully to make these distinctions. Sometimes there's this ethical, moral, practical outworking of, okay, we have this positional legal status where God has declared us righteous in his son, not guilty, uh, that's been imputed uh, to us, uh, to, to our, our accounts, as if we never, never sinned. Uh, but now, we begin to actually be conformed to the righteousness that, that we, we have in, in Christ, uh, legally, now practically, this practical outworking, this sanctification uh, in growth leading ultimately to, to glorification. Uh, and it's not something that justifies us because we saw that justification is something that's passed. Uh, it's something that's, uh, that's done. Uh, but now uh, it's, it's growth. It's walking, walking in the spirit. And so I'd like to look at some uh, texts uh, just where we've uh, seen this uh, theme before. 
And so for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. See, if Christ's death in the condemnation of sin, he bore the penalty. And then we have a purpose in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so now go back to chapter 2. We'll look at a couple of texts just briefly dealing with the spirit. But then I want to look at some dealing with this. We talked about like a past-present contrast. But a number of them, it's really, we have, we have that, but we also have a past-purpose contrast. Where there's, there's a purpose for what God has, has done uh, in the, the past. But here in chapter 2, let's see, uh, verse 25, we'll see contrast between physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision in the written law and the, the spirit written on our hearts. For circumcision indeed is of value. He's talking to the Jews, of course, uh, condemning them, showing that they're, they're guilty under the law. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So he's not physically circumcised, but it's regarded as, uh, as uh, circumcision, although not physical. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. So they have the written code, but they break the law. And you even see that they can only give mental assent. You who boast in in the law and God and approve of what is right and good, and you're a teacher, you know, to to the blind and uh, such. Uh, You have kind of the same theme that we just saw, but... Uh, and so who have the written, uh, the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so a Jew is one who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Uh, and so uh, the, these ideas, and here he's not talking about obeying the law in the sense of earning merit before God, uh, earning one's own righteousness and righteous standing and legal righteousness uh, before God, uh, or picking himself by his own bootstraps and growing in sanctification and obedience by himself, but by new life in the spirit. And these are new covenant themes, but God even circumcised hearts under the, the old covenant uh, as well. There, there were believers under the old covenant. You can read in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and such. Uh, and, uh, chapter 10 as well. But, but he circumcises their hearts to become responsive to God. Uh, he gives them new life. He regenerates them so that 
uh, God would provide with sacrifices, which under the Old Covenant couldn't ultimately uh, deal with sin, but they could trust that God would forgive their sins. And ultimately, he would uh, one day uh, give a perfect sacrifice that, that would cleanse them finally and fully. But then, with new life and freedom in the Spirit, they can begin to obey God uh, and to, uh, to obey uh, his commandments and his teachings and uh, the wisdom that's taught in the law, to, to begin to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength although not perfectly in this life, uh, but one day in glory, uh, per- perfectly. Uh, and so uh, we see these, uh, these new covenant themes uh, going back into chapter 2, uh, also in Romans 5. In verse 5, uh, he talks about and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been, uh, who has been given to us. And so God's love has been poured into our hearts by his spirit. And it's not outward circumcision, but inward circumcision. Uh, it's, it's a work of the spirit and God's love poured into our hearts. And go to chapter 6. We'll see some of these uh, past purpose contrasts and, and also some that was then, this is uh, now. And so uh, verse 3. And so he's talking about should we sin that grace may abound, may never be. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So we're united with Christ into his death. We're, we're identified with him. So his death is reckoned as our death. So we don't pay the penalty. But in Christ, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. Baptism is a picture of this, into death. In order that, so here's the purpose. Uh, the purpose, why we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we died with Christ past in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will... certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. On, uh, some scholars, uh, like uh, my old teacher, Ardell Candy and others, say sometimes the, uh, the future that he uses, sometimes it speaks about the certainty of these things, of our new life in Christ. But also sometimes it seems to me that it kind of has this forward trajectory because we're not glorified yet but we have the first fruits uh, and ultimately one day you know we will fully live with Christ in our resurrected bodies but now we have the first fruits where we start to walk in newness of life uh, by uh, the spirit for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that 
purpose. So in the past, uh, he says, uh, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body or that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So freedom, newness of life, so that we would walk in newness uh, of life. That's why we were united with Christ uh, through baptism into uh, his death. Uh, And that our old self was crucified him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We might have new life. We might have freedom. Uh, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Uh, And then we we could look uh, more uh, throughout this this section. Yeah. I was just curious, your thoughts on, but lots of times you'll hear of a testimony, somebody who might, let's just say, Mm -hmm. have been a drug addict on the street, gets street witness to or you know here's the gospel and immediately they realize i'm a sinner and i Mm -hmm. christ so their justification instantaneous Mm -hmm. and they might even go home and quit their drug abuse you know Mm -hmm. addiction yeah whatever but would you say then though that most people still you know it's you may have a well we all have an instantaneous but some people have this you know big testimony mm-hmm. of their salvation. Mm-hmm. But we all have that long, slow sanctification process yep, yep. of getting rid of that old man mm-hmm. that hangs on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when dealing with, like, conversion, conversion's not something where nothing happens. I mean, there, there is a transformation. You know, there, there is the beginning of a new life. Uh, where you were dead and now now you're alive and some of that you know it's positional in Christ uh, with the blessings and promises that we have in in him so that we're no longer under the condemnation of sin uh, and guilt uh, and death Uh, we won't come under eternal punishment in death but conversion it's not something where nothing happens you know there's some like uh well, just sign a card or walk the altar. You know, congratulations, you're a Christian. You know, uh, and that's kind of kind of how how it works. There there is a change in the person. However, we're not glorified yet, and sanctification is a process. There there is growth. I mean, for a lot of things, there's a past, present, and future aspect. You were sanctified. You are being sanctified. You will be sanctified. So you were sanctified in Christ. You've been consecrated to God. You're his holy people in his son. Uh, He reckons you as holy in his son, but you are being sanctified. We're we're being consecrated to God in our lives as we turn away from sin uh, in the world and refuse the things that we once loved and served to serve God, to be vessels of God uh, by, by his spirit. And you will be sanctified future in our glorification when it's all it's all complete uh, it's work in progress. yeah yeah uh, and so and then when dealing with like the issue of assurance where assurance i mean there are things that scripture teaches where we come to greater understanding of the gospel uh, by being taught god's word by being taught under good teaching uh, in the church uh 
maybe when someone first comes to believe, they have a very simple faith uh, in Christ, but they don't totally grasp all the blessings and promises uh, and riches, which are unfathomable, you know, they they can't even be measured uh, in God's Son. And so they grow in the knowledge of the good news uh, in what Christ has done for them. Uh, And then as God uh, is is at work, uh, you you see like in uh, Peter, uh, I mean elsewhere, uh, where it talks about make your calling and election sure. Uh, talks about what God has done in Christ by his own power, uh, providing all that we need uh, for salvation and, and such. Uh, and then, though, he, he turns to, okay, now knowing and understanding uh, that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make your calling and election sure. Don't, don't take it for, uh, for granted. Uh, we're, to, we're to walk by the Spirit. And uh, over time, there, there's a, a growth in assurance as we understand God's word uh, better and we see that God is at work. Uh, and there's a balance there between uh, being too introspective and looking at ourselves so much. How am I doing? You know, how am I doing today? How am I doing today? How am I doing today? Ah, <laughs> you know, we might start feeling not so well, you know, not so well to justify myself, not not so well to uh, to sanctify and glorify myself. You know, we're, we're starting to look to ourselves like too much. And, you know, we've got to look to Christ and have assurance uh, in, in the gospel. But scripture also does say, you know, make your calling and election, uh, election sure. And we, we see God at work over time. And we can't take, you know, the, the, those things for granted. And so there's, there's growth over time. And uh, people have to be very careful because I've heard many people uh, who said, you know, I was saved at a young age. They, they know it. They, they believe they were saved at a young age. And then, you know, maybe became a teenager or so and went to their 20s, lived like a devil, uh, maybe for years. But then God brought them, them back. Well, does scripture give assurance to that? If you go and live like a devil for years? No, no, you, you, you should have no assurance. Uh, and so you're really dealing with people that were probably converted later uh, and they, they uh, took, took for granted. Uh, but we shouldn't be so insistent, so wanting to name, well, I was saved on this exact day. Well, God knows. I mean, he, there was a, a moment in time when he finally, you know, brought them to conviction and regenerated them. But we grow in assurance in those things over time. And we shouldn't so want to name a day or a month or maybe even sometimes a year that, you know, we, we, we have to let the, the Spirit do his work through the Scripture uh, to bring us assurance and understanding and growth uh, over uh, over time. And so... Uh, does that help? It kind of covers a little more, but you, you were just talking about how there is this sanctification process over time, even though, yeah, there is conversion, there is a change. Uh, and even with, I mean, positionally uh, in our sanctification, our righteousness in Christ uh, and our justification, uh, it's not that there's no, no change in one's, one's life, but there is this growth and assurance over time. So, yeah, Steve. During my 23rd birthday uh, in June, I went up 
mm -hmm. realized that's why I did it. I gave a verbal out of my mouth mm -hmm. and I believed in my heart. So that was a time for me. And it probably happened to many other people. But I did, as Romans 9, 10, when you confess out of your mouth. Oh, yeah. But the, the thing to not misunderstand about... It's been a growing yeah, yeah. thing all along. Absolutely. And, and you never want to... You don't want to give people a false uh, assurance. Uh, you know, you want to point them to Scripture. You want to point them to the Gospel. But you don't want to take away genuine assurance. You know, that's not, that's not our place. That's, that's the work of the Spirit. That's, uh, that's uh, Scripture. That's what good teaching uh, should do over time. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you know, not not it's not the mere verbal. I confess Christ as Lord. Uh, it's not just verbal. It's not just giving mental assent. I mean, it's it's a sovereign, powerful work of the Spirit, granting repentance and faith uh, in the the believer. And so, Paul there is not saying that people can't verbally profess. You know, like in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 Lord. You know, there, there's disciples, right? Uh, he'll say, depart from me, you, uh, you workers of iniquity. Uh, in part, even when, when he talks about uh, those who obey the, the will of his father, yeah, belief is at the heart of it, but in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, growing obedience is, it doesn't, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. We're not saved by obedience, but we're saved for obedience, you know, to, to grow in obedience and holiness and love and service to God and to Christ. And so he talks about things, he, and he really means to his disciples when he says, love your enemies, pray for them. Uh, to Don't pray like the hip, hypocrites. This is, this is how, how you should pray, and, uh, and don't, don't fast like the hypocrites. I mean, he's really teaching things to his disciples, or even John says that, uh, that uh, those who are born of God keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. And uh, one of the commandments he highlights uh, in his letter at various points belief, but right after that, do you love the brethren? Do you love those born of, of, of God? Uh, it, that's a mark of a true believer. Uh, those who, who walk in darkness and, and not in light, you know, if their life is just characterized by darkness, 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 they're, they're, not, they're not true believers because the Spirit's not at work in them like Cain who murdered uh, his, his brother. Uh, believers, they, uh, that's, what, that's one of the, the true marks of a Christian. Uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves, do, do we love uh, those for whom Christ, Christ died? Uh, John says, uh, if we say that we love God but we do not love our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, how can you say you love God who, that you love God who you don't see when you don't love those for, for whom Christ died that you do see? Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you have a, a true, a true uh, spirit work uh, confession, you know, of Christ as Lord, yeah, you, you, have a, you have a true believer there. So the people that are saying, Lord, Lord, haven't you done this? They were never born again in the first place. No, no. Yeah, 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 and, and that's kind of like it even talks about how uh, how many uh, 
for us to enter into the kingdom. And, and sometimes it's like with the, the Pharisees and the false teachers, any way but, but the way that God has provided, you know, through his son. You know, not by, not by the spirit, but the, they're finding, trying to find other ways to enter uh, into uh, the, the kingdom. But you can only enter uh, through, through Christ and by the spirit. Uh, and so here, we could see more of these uh, past, present contrasts in chapter 6 in purpose. But just let's go back to uh, chapter 7. Let's see, we'll have to move fairly quickly to touch on some things. I want to touch on a couple more texts in Romans uh, and then uh, maybe one in Galatians and uh, Ezekiel. And so verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died, passed, to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. So why have they died uh, to the law through the body of Christ? So that they may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. Uh, In order that we might walk in newness of life, uh, in order that that we might be freed from slavery to to sin, uh, into... Uh, to the law is law covenant uh, that we might belong to another uh, to him who has been raised from the dead to Christ in order that we may bear fruit to to God uh, and so it's it's this purpose and that these are new covenant uh, ideas about new life uh, in uh, in the spirit and in bearing fruit to God for while we were living in the flesh past Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, present, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Serving in the new way of the Spirit, belonging to another, walking in newness of of life. These are the purposes for which we died with Christ. Uh, you see it again and again. For which Christ bore our condemnation so that we might bear fruit to God, walk in newness of life, belong to another, and serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And this is a central point uh, in uh, with, uh, with verse 4. And then he kind of explains it in verse 5 and then deals with the, uh, the law uh, objections and wrong implications that they could get. And at the end, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Uh, uh, Chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, past, in order that uh, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according uh, to uh, the Spirit. And here, the righteous uh, requirement 
there are various ways that uh, that it's rendered, but it really summarizes the basic ethical teaching uh, and demand that's found in the in the the Torah. And say that it's fulfilled in us. And it's also here kind of a focus on fulfilled in us. You know, kind of outside of ourselves. Uh, and uh, characterizing all Christians who walk uh, not uh, according to the flesh, uh, but according uh, to uh, the Spirit. God's law written in our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts by uh, his Holy Spirit. He even goes on to elaborate uh, this, uh, walking in the, in the new way of the, the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. Uh, for he contrasts, he contrasts those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. Those in the flesh can't please God. Uh, they, they can't obey him. For it set the mind on the flat, or let's see, uh, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So characterized by the flesh, sinful, fallen, mortal humanity in and following following Adam with all their sinful passions. Those who li- live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Uh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's what we saw through chapter 7 in their uh, their, uh, their past. Uh, but the, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can maybe give mental assent, but that's it. Couldn't, couldn't actually uh, obey God whatsoever. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, uh, the spirit is life uh, because of righteousness. And now, we'll come back here, but he contrasts. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Unlike those who are in the flesh, who are hostile to God, who cannot please God, who cannot uh, obey uh, his, uh, his law. But I want you to see a little more of this fulfillment language. Romans chapter 14. It may be actually at the very end of 13. In uh, verse 8 of chapter 13. So he talks about submitting to the governing authorities and then transitions into uh, to, to loving uh, one another. Owe no one anything except to love each other uh, for the one, or owe, owe no one anything except to love each other. 
for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Uh, or let's see. Uh, oh, why is that not tracking how I want it to? Yeah, oh, uh, owe nothing uh, to anyone uh, except uh, to love uh, one another uh, for the one who, who loves uh, another has fulfilled the law. Uh, for uh, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, or literally is the fullness of the law. Love is the fullness of the law. And so here he really reappropriates the law, not as law covenant. He's not putting them back under the law as law covenant that binds them, uh, that brings guilt and the curse upon them when they uh, they don't obey it. But that the, the basic ethical, moral teaching of God's law and, and the wisdom that was found in it all along uh, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength uh, and love your neighbor as yourself, now that's fulfilled in Christ in the new covenant and not only with not only with his imputed righteousness the legal forensic righteousness imputed to our account by which we're justified but now in the hearts of his people ethically they, they begin to be conformed to his own image and likeness uh, and so this basic teaching of the the Torah to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Now in the new covenant, and sometimes it's just called the law of Christ. Uh, now uh, it's fulfilled in the hearts of believers by, by the spirit, uh, by his power, uh, not, not, by, not by the flesh, not by, not by their own human intrinsic power or anything that belongs to them, but it's by God's spirit. Uh, all of the blessings and promises of salvation are all in Christ, and they're a free gift uh, received by grace through through faith uh, in uh, in Christ. And all saving righteousness is in Christ, uh, both the legal forensic righteousness, uh, but also the obedience that he, in good works He works in the hearts of His people, uh, as He makes them people. Who, who desire to serve God and to love God and to love those for whom Christ died. And so we see the same language again. Uh, oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's it. You know, that, that summarizes the, the whole thing. Uh, not, not back as going back to it as, as law covenant, uh, but this is, this is the, the summary. This was the, the heart of it all along, even though for those who had whose hearts God circumcised under the old covenant. Uh, in chapter uh, 10, uh, Moses even summarizes a big section. Well, let's go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10 quickly. 
verse 12. So this summarizes a big section of teaching. He's coming to the end. I think chapter 11 brings it to a close. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? So kind of summarizing the teaching uh, from, from before. Now Israel, what does the Lord or Yahweh your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep uh, the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. A behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. And so it goes on to talk about, he'll talk about God saving them, delivering them, and his, uh, his promises for them. And you even have things, uh, don't think that God is giving you this land uh, because of your righteousness, but it's because of the people's unrighteousness that God's driving them out and because he loved your fathers and chose, chose his offspring after them. It's God's sheer grace and mercy. And so even where he says, circumcise the forcing of your hearts, as they're reading the, the whole of Deuteronomy, they should see, we can't do it. We need God's spirit to do it. Like with Caleb and Joshua. Caleb had a different spirit. As the, the spies gave a bad report, but Caleb had a different, uh, different spirit, God's spirit, uh, the, the Holy Spirit. And so all along, uh, to fear the... Uh, the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And keeping God's commandments and obeying him isn't necessarily a bad thing unless you're trying to do it in your own power to establish your own righteousness, your own salvation, your own merit before God, and your own obedience and moral, moral ethical character by yourself and not by, not by God's spirit, not by his salvation, by his forgiveness uh, and mercy. Now I'd like to look at just a couple more texts. So go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. After Galatians, we'll also be going to Ezekiel 36. We could go to 11. We'll we'll see. Uh, And so, uh, just look in verse, uh, there's more we could look at, but look at uh, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so there's still abiding sin. Uh, he, he makes that point in Galatians. He makes it later in Romans uh, chapter 8. Uh, walk by the Spirit and you will know, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, or let's see. Uh, I skip it. Was it a little, a little earlier? In such things, there is no law. Oh, yes. Thank you. Somehow I missed it. I was using a different text earlier, and so I missed it. Yeah, uh, verse 13 and 14. Uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then he goes on to talk about the the spirit. And so this this freedom in in the law being summarized in in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Jesus taught on the Sermon uh, on the Mount, uh, that uh, what you desire others to, to do unto you, do unto them. Uh, that so is the uh, thus is the uh, Moses and the prophets. Uh, it sums up the, uh, the the whole the whole teaching. And then you even see it's called the law of Christ in Galatians six. And then go to uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty six. And there are other uh, new covenant chapters. Uh, Ezekiel eleven. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 32. And then even talking about repentance, uh, which was under the Old Covenant in Deuteronomy 30, uh, but it never reaches its fullness for all of God's people until the New Covenant. Uh, It's the New Covenant in which all of God's blessings and promises of salvation and all of his covenants uh, are are fulfilled uh, in, in Christ. Uh, in the the new covenant. And so uh, look at verse 22. Uh, Here he's speaking to Israel and speaking about bringing them out of the the nations uh, and such. Oh, uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 22. Uh, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, or Yahweh God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations uh, to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, uh, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, uh, declares the Lord God, uh, when uh, through you I vindicate my holiness uh, before uh, their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. So the priestly imagery 
by cleansing them from their iniquity, from their uncleanness, from their, their sin. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, circumcising their hearts, uh, making it responsive to, to God. A new spirit, his spirit, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful uh, to obey my rules. Uh, You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be uh, your, uh, your God. Uh, and he, he even goes on to uh, repeat and build on some of these things. But this very language uh, about his statutes and commandments is the very language found in Romans chapter 8, uh, Deuteronomy 30, uh, Ezekiel chapter 11, dealing with the new covenant. Uh, where, uh, verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so the law written on uh, the heart. It's this very language that he's, uh, he's drawing upon. And so I don't think we should miss that when he's talking about, you see all these contrasts, that was then, this is now, and talking about dying with Christ, uh, Christ bearing our condemnation in order that we might walk in newness of life, we might belong to another, we might bear fruit to God, uh, we might walk in, in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code, in order that uh, that the uh, righteous uh, requirement, this this ethical, moral standard that summarizes up uh, the the whole uh, the whole law is fulfilled in. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. God now writes that upon uh, our hearts by uh, His uh, holy. Holy Spirit. And so uh, let's just uh, go back to Romans chapter 8. And so I I think there Paul is probably dealing more with and seeing that those in the flesh cannot please God, they cannot obey him, that you kind of have this reappropriation of the law in the sense of the same wisdom, the same basic ethical uh, teaching and standard God now puts in the, the hearts of his people. And so, uh, let's just read through uh, from uh, verse 1 into verse 9. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that was our our flesh, our sinful nature. For God has done what the law, uh, the the Torah, uh, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, past, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that characterizes all believers as those who walk uh, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Uh, we're not saved by good works, but for good works. Uh, it's, the, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, against such things, there is no, there is no law. Uh, what does that in, mean? In, We'll see if we have time. Otherwise, we maybe discuss uh, after. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good good question, though. Uh, I think at a minimum, at a minimum, that there's no uh, prohibition, uh, there's no sort of penalty uh, or restriction uh, that we come under uh, in in loving God and. In, in loving loving our uh, our neighbors, uh, so that we be prohibited uh, from any of, of those uh, those things, but we're we're now we're now free uh, to, uh, to to live and walk by the Spirit in in newness uh, of of life, and we, we don't we don't come under uh, under condemnation or uh, under uh, under the penalty we, we once did, but there may be more going on too. And so then he, he explains, uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They're consistent with, with the Spirit uh, that are uh, from, from God. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And he even talks maybe a little more literally, the mind of the flesh and the, the mind of the, the spirit. As Christ is present with his people by the spirit. And we're taught, we're taught by him. We're taught by, by God and, and his word. Uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And that's true of all, all believers. And it's kind of axiomatic. Uh, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So, if you're in the spirit, you're in the spirit. If the spirit dwells in you, the spirit dwells in you. You're, you're in, the, in the, the spirit. And that's true of all believers. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so the body is dead because of sin. We're not glorified yet. Uh, we, we, we still have our mortal bodies. Uh, we're, we're not glorified yet. We still have to put sin to death, as he'll talk about. And so uh, there's, there's, still, there's still physical death, uh, but uh, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And here it's probably dealing more with the righteousness of life uh, in Christ. So there's no condemnation uh, any, anymore. Uh, the, uh, the spirit is life. He's been talking about the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He is life. He's the very source of life who will raise us to life uh, because we're no longer in the sin and guilt in Adam, but we have the righteousness of, of Christ. And then just last verse, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you.
And then he ties it up while he's been teaching. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He talks about new life in the spirit. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, talk about our adoption. All believers have new life in the spirit. The spirit dwells in them. They are sons of God. And by the spirit cry, Abba, Father, uh, to, to God. You know, talk about the inheritance that they have and why they have hope even in the midst of suffering in this life because of the sovereign work of the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And that's the rest of, of Romans 8. And it's just a crescendo uh, throughout God's love poured into our hearts through through his Holy Spirit. And so I hope that's uh, helpful. And uh, I'll put the classes on uh, where we finished up Romans 8 and had a couple in 9 in case uh, anyone is interest in listening to those but uh, we'll be looking lord willing uh, at we'll see we're, we're aiming to to get into uh, the book of genesis so let's just pray heavenly father i thank you thank you for these words and i thank you for the freedom in life that we have in your son uh, freedom from the condemnation of sin uh, from its guilt, uh, from the penalty of death that it worked, uh, worked through your holy and righteous uh, law. But not only from its condemnation uh, and penalty, but also from the corruption of sin and that uh, we have new life and freedom uh, in your son, uh, in his spirit. Uh, he's present with us by, by his spirit and uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you that he teaches us your word uh, and the, the gospel so that we might have have hope even in the midst of suffering and sorrows in this life. And I pray that all of our hope and trust would, would be in you and in your son uh, and that we would, we would desire more and more by your spirit to, to love and serve you and uh, serve one another. And we uh, thank you uh, for all these things and I give you all praise and uh, thanks. Uh, pray in your son's name. Amen.